thankful for you tonight. First John 5, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we're going through the book of First John verse by verse. It's been the most challenging book I've ever preached through, but I've gotten a lot from it, and I hope you have as well. And uh, tonight we're going to be in verse 14 down through verse number 16. The Bible says, beginning in verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death, I do not say that he shall pray for it. The title of the Bible study or message this evening is this prayer, asking and receiving. Asking and receiving. Boy, we need to be people of prayer. Amen? Let's, uh, let's open the, the sermon with a word of prayer and ask God that we receive something from Him tonight. Lord, I, I pray that tonight as, as a church congregation we open the Bible and attempt to better understand it, that you would open our hearts. Lord, some folks in this room have their heart prepared and ready to receive truth. And Lord, they're ready to go and grow by the truth that they receive. Other folks come in here and their heart's a little more hardened, a little bit more cold-hearted. And so, Lord, I pray for that person right now that you would tender their heart. Lord, may the Word of God not be that seed that just sits on the surface and is taken away by the enemy, but that may that be seed land on soil that is ready to produce a hundredfold. Lord, help all of us tonight to be more committed to a life of prayer. And may the sermon this evening challenge all of us that direction. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Many Christians do not pray with any sort of regularity. But do others really know how little we pray? Probably not. But God does know. God does know how much we do or do not pray. The earliest African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in their private devotions. Each one reportedly had separate spots in the thicket where he or she would pour their heart out to God. The several paths of these little Bethels, these little meeting places with God, became distinctly marked. And when anyone began to decline in their devotion, their prayer time, it it was soon apparent to others. They would then kindly remind him or her that it had neglect their prayer place. They would say, brother or sister... The grass grows on your path yonder. The grass grows on your path yonder. Tonight, I want to look at many of you tonight, and I'll let the Spirit of God apply it where it should be, but for many of you in here tonight, the grass grows on your prayer path. Many of you have not spent the time in prayer that you know that you ought to. Oftentimes, I'll ask someone in counseling, I'll say, tell me about your Bible reading and prayer time. How is your walk with God? And a common response I get back is this. It's not what it should be. It's not what it should be. Can I, can, I, can I interpret that phrase? It's not what it should be. I'm either not doing it at all or I'm barely doing it at all. That's what that means. Why do so many Christians lack a strong prayer life? Well, I've written down several reasons here. Uh, Number one, they are overconfident in their own ability to meet the day's tasks. Why pray when I can handle all of my problems myself? Why pray when I can get myself to work? Why pray when I can earn a paycheck? Why pray when I can pay my own bills? Why pray when I can get through classes? And why pray when I know how to study and make good grades? Why pray uh, when I know how to handle and maneuver through life's relationships? They are overconfident in their own ability 
to meet the day's tasks. Another reason why Christians lack a strong prayer life is they tried praying before and did not really know how to pray, so they just gave up on it altogether. Another reason why Christians fail to have a strong prayer life is they they feel that God meets their needs whether they pray or not. Boy, whether or not I pray, just magically, God takes care of me. And so, if God's going to take care of me, then why take the time to pray? Oh, how short-sighted and selfish that attitude is. But I'm sure at some point or another, everyone in here that is a Christian has taken that mentality and that attitude. Another reason why Christians lack a strong prayer life, they prayed before and God did not answer them in the same way they were hoping He would. Their expectation in prayer was not met, and so they just gave up on prayer altogether. And then the fifth reason I wrote down here, I believe to be the most prominent reason why Christians don't pray. The fifth reason I wrote down here is this. The flesh really, really doesn't like to pray. How many know what I'm talking about? The flesh really doesn't like to pray. You know, it's amazing. I, I, I get down on my knees to pray, or I'll go on a prayer walk, and there are things I would not even think to do. There are things I don't even want to do. But as soon as I start praying, boy, my mind runs to those things. Well, you, you need to do this, and, and you really need to do that. And listen, my flesh is pulling me away hard, hard pulling me away. So what I've had to learn to do is get a note card and put it down right next to where I'm praying, and when something comes to mind that needs to get done, I just write it down on that note card and move on praying. Because my flesh really, really does not like to pray. And the flesh, for many of us, if we're honest tonight, is ultimately calling the shots in our life. The flesh is calling the shots. Boy, I'd really like uh, a hamburger, so we stop and get a hamburger. Boy, I'd really like to watch that show on TV, so we just put the show on TV. I'd really like to go here or do this or have that. And we never, ever, or rarely ever deny our flesh what our flesh wants. And if the flesh is constantly calling the shots, if the flesh is constantly winning the battles, then why would you ever pray? Because the flesh would never, ever let you pray. And I believe that's the number one reason why many Christians don't have a strong prayer life. Their flesh calls the shots. They're not disciplined enough to pray. They've not submitted to the Spirit of God who would encourage them to pray. And I'm sure if we took the time this evening and we went around the room and we brainstormed or collaborated, we could come up with many other reasons why Christians do not pray much. Christian, let me be clear this evening, God has commanded us to pray. He's not requested it. He's not asked us to do it. He's not suggested it. He's commanded it. When we do not pray, watch this now, we are, number one, ignoring our Savior. Ignoring our Savior. Many of you here have family. Let me tell you a quick way to ruin a relationship with that family member. Just stop talking to them. Whether it's a spouse or a parent or a sibling, maybe it's your boss at work, you want to ruin a relationship, cut off all communication. You know, when we don't talk to God in prayer, we're ignoring the Savior. What do you think that does to that relationship? You know what we're doing? We're taking advantage of an ever-benevolent, loving God. We're saying, you'll keep loving me even if I don't pray. We may not say that out loud, but that's what our actions say. When we do not pray, we are, number two, enjoying His blessings while skipping out on the relationship that He so desires. I've heard people say, well, Pastor, I just don't know why I should pray. And if I pray and ask God to give me something, if He wants me to have it, He's going to give it to me whether I pray for it or not. I don't know why I should pray for brother or sister such and such who's sick. God loves them more than I do, and He'll heal them. Or, God, I don't know why I should pray for such and such to get saved because God wants them to be saved more than I do. Why should I spend time in prayer for things that God has a greater desire for than I do? And here's the answer. God is not just concerned about answering your prayer. He's also concerned about the journey that you go on to get the prayer answered. He wants a relationship with you while you pray. When we do not pray, we are, number three, missing out on an opportunity to see God work in miraculous ways. Years ago, I attended another church. I attended a men's prayer group. I was just a teenage boy. 
they let me in. I attended a men's prayer group directed by Pastor Morales. And in that prayer group, uh, he took the time to come up with a list of answered prayers. We had a, a sheet. We'd meet on a, was it Sunday night or Wednesday night? I don't remember which, but we'd meet prior to the service, and we had a sheet of prayer requests, and we'd pray over those prayers. And you know what? When God would answer a prayer, it would get transferred from the prayer request sheet to the praise report sheet. From the prayer request sheet to the praise report sheet. And you know what? By the end of the year, we had sheets and sheets and sheets of answered prayers. We got to see God do some incredible things because we spent time in prayer. You know, it very well may be that God is performing miracles in your life, even many miracles in your life on a regular basis, but because you were not praying, that miracle is totally missed on you. When we do not pray, we are, number four, giving our flesh a daily victory against the Spirit of God. Now listen this evening, prayer moves the heart of the one we pray to. There's no question about that. Prayer moves the heart of God. We'll see that tonight. We'll see that in our passage tonight. That when we pray, we can actually change the decision-making of God. Wow! That's amazing. But can I tell you that more often than not, when we pray, our prayers move the heart of the one who prays. We get on our knees and we begin to pray that God would fill a need in the church. God, the pastor asked us to pray for more nursery workers. Lord, send more nursery workers to White Oak Baptist Church. And all of a sudden, ladies, God taps on your heart and says, you could work in the nursery. Why, why don't you see a need and fill a need? Lord, send laborers into the harvest that we can bring forth uh, more uh, fruit to, to our, our labor. And God says, why don't you get out there and pick some fruit for the Savior? And as we pray, God begins to tender our heart. I know when I was a teenage boy, I began to pray. Actually, as a child, I began to pray for my grandmother to get saved. And I've shared it before in here, so I won't belabor the point. I don't believe my grandmother ever got saved. I believe that she died without Christ, and it breaks my heart. I've wept many, many, many tears over the fact that I believe she died without Christ and went to hell. But I prayed and wept tears prior to her dying, and I asked God to, to do everything possible to, to reach her and see her get saved. And can I tell you that while I believe God kept working on reaching her, God did something else miraculous in my heart. He began to move my heart to want to witness more and more and more to my grandmother. And before my grandmother passed, I had written her letters, I had mailed her gospel tracts, I had uh, brought the topic up in conversation to the point where it was uncomfortable, I had I pushed the envelope, I had pushed the issue with her, I knew for sure she had heard of the gospel, and God had changed my heart because I had been busy in prayer. Boy, I can tell you of other times where I didn't pray when I should have, and I missed out on an opportunity for God to change me through the prayer closet. First John 5 goes in great depth explaining many key doctrines, many key Christian teachings to our faith. But let us not forget the thrust, the theme of the book of 1 John. The love of God to us and the love of God through us to others. That is the theme of the book of 1 John. The love of God to us and then the love of God through us and on to others. And with that in mind, as the theme of the book, as the thrust of the book, book, let's understand that all of the doctrinal teachings that 1 John chapter 5 covers, it's trying to push to us this idea that God loves you and He wants you to share that love with others. The beginning of the chapter covers the idea of salvation. The verses 12 and 13 of the chapter cover the idea of the security of the believer. And then right on the heels of that where we're at tonight, we see that supplication or prayer is covered. And so tonight we're going to jump in and look at these three verses, 14, 15, and 16, and we're going to see three principal truths about prayer from these three verses, all right? If you received one of those half sheets this evening, you have an outline. I encourage you to fill that out. Notice point number one, our assurance in prayer. Our 
assurance in prayer. Look at verse 14 with me of 1 John chapter number 5. Follow along there in your Bible with me, if you will. The Bible says, and this is the confidence. Notice that word confidence. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything to his will, he heareth us. Now, uh, look at letter A here. Notice, our confidence. Our confidence. Again, verse 14. And this is the confidence. Look at the very end of the verse. The last three words. He heareth us. This is the confidence. He heareth us. Have you ever got on your knees to pray and just felt like that the, the, what, the vocal cords, the sounds coming across your vocal cords was just kind of bouncing around the room and off the ceiling and not going anywhere? Have you ever felt that way? I know I have felt that way that maybe I was just kind of wasting my time praying. Was God even really hearing me? And I know the psalmist felt that way because over and over and over again, the psalmist said, Lord, hear my prayer. Lord, are you there? Are you listening? Hear my prayer. And there are times where I've gotten on my knees and I've prayed and it just kind of felt like something was off. It felt like no one was there. It felt like my prayer wasn't going anywhere. But Paul, uh, but rather the author of 1 John, John, John tells us in verse 14 that we can have this confidence that He heareth us. I'm here to tell you this evening that if you are a born-again child of God, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, that if you pray, God hears you. Hey, that's a big deal. You know, I could take out a piece of paper and I could write a letter to President Donald Trump. And I could put it in an envelope and put, what is it, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? Is that the address of the White House? I believe that's right. I think they taught me that in school. Is that right? Who knows? Is that the address? 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, Washington, D.C., and I could drop that in the mailbox. I've got a very, very small chance that the president's actually going to hold that letter and read it. In fact, probably less than 1% chance that one of his screeners will read it and maybe respond, but that he would hold it and he would read it and he would consider what I have to say. It's a chance that's slim to none, slim to none. Hey, listen, as powerful as President Trump is, God is the president of presidents. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the governor of governors. He is the conqueror of conquerors. And when we get down on our knees and we pray, the Bible says this in 1 John 5.14, you can be confident that He hears you. Letter B, notice His conditions. His conditions. We see that verse 14 lays out for us some conditions in praying. Uh, let me give you three questions to ask yourself as you pray, all right? Here's the first question to ask yourself, and these would be conditions laid out in 1 John 5.14. Uh, here's condition one. Am I asking? Am I asking? Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask, if we ask, I want you to imagine that your husband or wife, I bet this scenario is played out. Do you marry people in the room? Your husband or wife is really, really upset with you. You come home from work or uh, out, you're out and about, you come home and your spouse is just really worked up and upset with you. And you, you ask and probe and try to find out, why are you so upset with me? And then, listen, I know wives do this to their husbands. Husbands probably do this at times to their wives. I just know because I'm the husband, all right? And I know this happens to me, and I watched my mom do it to my dad, and I've counseled enough to know that it happens plenty. And you know, what you know what happened? You know why my wife was upset with me? Because I wasn't able to read her mind. How many of you husbands can relate? Are you man enough to raise your hand tonight? Amen? Some of you say, no, I'm not man enough to raise my hand, but I agree with you, preacher. You know what? I tell my wife, next time ask me. Just come right on out and say it. My mom would wash the dishes. after. I'm the oldest of seven children. And you just imagine the pile of dishes after dinner, right? There's nine of us in the house. And um, the pile of dishes was massive. And, you know, my mom would spend an hour or whatever it took to get dinner on the table. And she's got the pots and the pans and whatever was in the oven and all the plates and the forks and the knives and the spoons. We probably should have just eaten off of paper and plastic. But we didn't do that. And, and uh, you know, you got this mountain of dishes. And, and then after dinner, everyone just... They go to where they were going outside to play or, you know, running around the house playing with each other. Dad goes back in the living room and turns on the news and he, or sports and he's sitting there. And you know what my mom would do? She wouldn't say, hey, Tim, could you ask some of the kids to help me? She wouldn't say that. 
No, instead, she'd go in the kitchen and she'd go, ah, I'm so tired. Boy, I, I, I really could use some time uh, getting off these feet. And then when no one would help her, I just wish someone would step up and take some initiative around here. And my dad would say the same thing. He'd say, Sherry, if you want me or the kids to do the dishes, just come out and ask. You know why many of us don't get anything from God? Because we won't just come out and ask. You can't expect to God, God to give you something that you're not even willing to get on your knees and ask for. How many of you here have a loved one in your life with some pretty heavy needs right now? Would you hold up your hand? Loved one in your life with some pretty heavy needs. All right, put your hands down. When was the last time you got on your knees and you asked God to get involved? You can't expect Him to do it if you're not going to ask Him. Verse 14 says, if we ask His conditions. Notice this question. For what am I asking? For what am I asking? And I encourage you to write these questions down. They won't be on the screen, but I encourage you to write them down and consider these later. Look back at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Boy, we need to make sure, if we want God to hear our prayer, we're asking Him for the right things. Boy, I know that this is a, a very immature thing for someone to pray, but I've met people who prayed that God would give them a raise at work or that God would, uh, uh, look, I've heard crazy things. I, I, one guy was in my office and he was having marriage problems. This wasn't here, it was another ministry. And he said, Pastor, I got so put out with my spouse, I just asked God to take their life. We're praying the wrong prayer, people. Praying the wrong prayer. Now, he knew that at the time. And his spouse was sitting right there. And the look on that spouse's face was like, You prayed what? <laughs> it was a tense moment. I'll just say that. That's not a prayer you want to pray. You know, uh, teenagers, if you go home and say, Oh, Lord, I'm about to get my driver's license. Would you please give me a Tesla to drive? Or a Porsche? Or a Lamborghini? Whatever car it is you like. You know, we have to pray according to His will. I have to pray according to His will. For what am I asking? We need to pray prayers that are in line with what God wants us to pray. A third question here. What are my motives in asking? Again, verse 14. That if we ask anything according to His will. According to His will. Boy, we need to make sure our motives are right in asking. I'll hold your place in 1 John 5 there. Turn just a few pages back to the left to the book of James. James chapter number 4 and uh, James chapter 4 and verse number 1. And here we find basically verse 14 stated in, in, in yet a, a little bit different way, but the same exact truth. Look at James chapter 4 with me. The Bible says, From whence comes, come wars? And fightings among you. We're in verse 1. Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members. Ye lust, or you want it really bad, and, and have not. Ye kill. That's the extreme some are willing to go to. And desire to have. So we see here that there's a lust that's not fulfilled. There's even a, an extreme measure of murder or killing in order to have something, but no matter how uh, great of lengths someone goes through, no matter how strongly they desire it, it's elusive. They can't seem to get it. They do not have. Look here. And cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. What's the idea of this verse? Watch this now. People are willing to do anything and everything to get their way except pray. And God says, if you're willing to go through all of these extreme measures to get what you want really bad, but you won't get down on your knees and pray. Oh, Christian, let's not be so stubborn. Look at verse 3. Someone says, but pastor, I have asked God for things. Notice what verse 3 says. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. You're asking, sure, but you're asking for the wrong things. You're asking because you're looking to make yourself 
better. You're asking because you have a selfish motive in play. You ever had somebody be really nice to you and you're thinking, okay, what's going on here? They're, uh, they're a little over the top with the compliments, right? They're a little, uh, we call that being flattering, right? Flattering. Flattering is when you're paying someone compliments for an ulterior motive. You're about to get something out of it. You know, my kids come up to me and start telling me how wonderful of a father I am. I'm thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh, you're trying to get my wallet, aren't you? Uh-huh, uh-huh, you want some money. Yep, you, 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 want, you want me to do something for you. You want me to take you somewhere. And listen, uh, they're being kind because they have another motive. Now, I'm using an example here that doesn't happen much, if ever. As they get older, I'm sure it will. I know I did that to my parents. Christian, make sure your heart is in the right place. Make sure you're asking. Make sure you're asking with regularity. And make sure your motives are pure. Our assurance is this. If we pray, we can be confident that he will hear our prayer. Number two. Number two. We see our answers to prayer. Our answers to prayer. Look back at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 15 with me. 1 John chapter 5. And look at verse number 15. The Bible says, And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, below that, letter A, notice our petitions. Our petitions. Look back at verse 15. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Boy, whatever we ask, he'll give us. Wow. Car blanc. Sometimes um, uh, I'll have a, a, a staff person who's in a big hurry. They'll come to me with a check and they'll say, Pastor, can you sign it? And, and I know what it's for, but they've not yet put the name or the, the, the amount on the line. And they'll say, Pastor, will you sign it? I'm in a hurry. And, and I always joke and say, you're about to make yourself rich, aren't you? You're about, to, you're about to walk away. Now, no one's ever done that, right? We're, we're careful with the money here. And this is probably the wrong illustration to use. But it's okay, all right? Um, everyone's been there. How many of you here have ever signed a blank check and thought, oh boy, I better really trust the person I'm signing this for, right? And um, you sign that, that blank check. You know what this is? This is a blank check with heaven. Whatever you ask, he's going to give you. Whatever you ask, he's going to give you. Wow. Boy, I want to tap into that. That whatever I ask, the Lord's going to give me. Now again, we have to be careful what we ask for. Our petitions, let her be notice, His provisions. His provisions. Look back at verse 15. Let's understand the verse. Let's make sure we have a mature understanding of the verse. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions. We know that we have the petitions. What's that mean? We, that means we know God's going to come through for us. Now, watch this. Watch this. I want to show you something from the, the, the chapter as a whole here. Just two verses earlier, in verse 13, we, we saw that we know that we have eternal life. We can know that we have eternal life. Then here in this verse, we see that we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. God is such a giving and gracious God. Not only does He give us salvation, He gives us security in our salvation. Not only does He give us security in our salvation, He gives us answers to prayer in our daily living. The truth is, if God saved me and just let me wander through life and never did a single good thing for me the rest of my life, He would still be a pretty awesome God. But this isn't just a God who saved me and forgot about me. This is a God who saved me and is daily interested in my walking and talking with Him and is interested in daily providing for what I ask Him for. Wow. Now, Christian, we have to be busy about praying. Through this type of praying, God sends provisions our way. Turn in your Bible over to Psalm chapter 37 and verse number 4. Hold your place in 1 John 5. Psalm chapter 37 and verse number 4. As we pray, we draw close to God. 
Our prayer should be, Lord, give me the right desires to have in my heart. Then our prayer becomes, Lord, give me the desires that you have put in my heart. Watch this now. Lord, give me the right desires. And then after you give me those desires, the prayer should be, Lord, grant me the desires that you have placed there. Look at Psalm 37, 4, and notice that this verse has a double meaning. Look here. Delight thyself also in the Lord. You know what that word delight means? It means when you hear the Lord's name, you get a big old smile on your face. You think, oh, I love my Savior. I delight in the thought of my relationship with God. I love the Bible. I love prayer. And I love going to church. I love everything to do with this book right here. And what it says. I love the people of God. I love the Word of God. Uh, I love being around the man of God. I love the Bible. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Look here. And He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now watch how this works. As I delight in the Lord, He puts in my heart the desires for what I should pray. And then after He puts those desires there, I pray for the desires He's given me, and then He gives me the desires that I pray for. You see that? I ask God for proper desires, and then I pray for Him to fill those desires, and then He fills the desire. See how this works? If we're praying in this vein, God's going to give us whatever we pray for. Let me give you some examples of maybe a prayer that you should pray. Watch this. Here's an example. Lord, I am not sure what material items that you would want me to have. Lord, place within my heart a desire to, um, to, to put those things, or to have those things that you would have, or to buy those things rather, that you would have me to buy. Confirm those desires and then help me to be faithful in praying that you will fulfill the desires that you have placed in my heart. You know, a lot of covetousness in the heart of the Christian would go away. What, what if you said, Lord, I want to eat at the restaurants this week that you want me to eat at? Now, this is next level Christianity, but watch what we're doing here. There very well may be a waitress or a waiter working in a restaurant this week that is just wrecked with life and needs the gospel light and a Christian to come across their path. And if we're soul conscious and we're spiritually minded, Lord... I'm planning on eating out this week, if that's your will. Lord, where would you have me eat? And God may very well direct your path to where you come across that waiter or waitress and you're able to shine the light of Jesus in their life and help them. You see, when we ask God for the right desires, He puts them in our heart. And then we keep praying and then He fulfills the desire. How about our relationships? Several, um, uh, back at the very beginning of August, Pastor Morales and I took a Sunday evening service and we did a roundtable discussion on biblical eunuchs. We talked about how that churches put marriage on, have put marriage on a pedestal that's just unhealthy. We've pushed our youth to believe that if they don't get married, there's something wrong with them. Listen, marriage is God's intent for procreation. And procreation is necessary for this earth to keep going. But God did not make everyone to be married. Amen? God calls some people to stay single and to be faithful to Him. God made some people specifically to be single. And as churches, we put that on a pedestal. Then you have those that are in their 30s and 40s and even 50s and 60s, and they're single. And oh, how bad they want to be married. I don't pretend to know what that's like. I'm not going to stand up here and, 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 and preach down to anyone in that spot. I have no idea what you're going through. I'm not even going to act like I know. But can I encourage you tonight? Can I encourage you to pray a prayer something along these lines? Lord, help me to be content in being single. And if it is your will for me to get married, help me to trust your timing. And Lord, if it is not your will for me to get married... Would you remove the desire from my heart? Boy, I think that prayer would please the Lord. 
You know what you're saying to God? You're saying, Lord, I want my desires to match your desires. Lord, help my heart to come in line with your heart. Help my will to be in line with your will. To the teenagers this evening, many of you are getting ready to graduate high school. Don't make your plans without consulting God in prayer. God may want you to be a businessman or businesswoman. God may want you to be in church work. God may want you to be a lawyer or doctor. God may want you to do, who knows what God wants you to do. His plan for your life is singular to you. Boy, don't try to make God get on your page. You work to get on God's page. Lord, you give me your desires for my heart and help me to pursue what you want for my life. Some of you here are going through a broken relationship. Instead of trying to force God to give you what you want in that broken relationship, how about instead you give the relationship over to God and say, God, I want your will to be fulfilled in this broken relationship. You give me the proper desires. Are you getting the idea this evening? Are you getting the idea this evening? Our prayer should not be, Lord, here's what I want, fill it. Our prayer should be, Lord, here's what I want. I want what you want. I want your desires for me to be my desires for me. Lord, give me your desires and then fill those desires. And when we pray that way, guess what? He doesn't just hear our prayers. He provides for those prayers. He answers our petitions. That's how we get prayer answered. Boy, we want God to answer our prayers. We better start praying in a way that pleases the Lord. Number three, and lastly, we saw number one, our assurance in prayer. Number two, our answers to prayer. Number three, our affection in prayer. Our affection in prayer. Look back at 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 16. Now, there is a part of this verse we are not going to dive into tonight. The whole sin not unto death and sin unto death. The, the verses that follow, that succeed verse 16, go into greater detail. And so we'll get into what the sin unto death and the sins not unto death are. We'll attempt to get into that uh, next week. We're not going to touch that this week. I'm going to draw something a little bit different out. And if you want an explanation on that part of the verse, I would encourage you to be in church, not next Sunday night, but the following uh, week when we're back in First John 5. Look at verse 16. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. For them that sin not unto death, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for it. Letter A, notice our observation. Our observation. Look at verse 16. If any man see his brother, if any man see his brother, how do we respond when we see someone else living in sin? How do we respond? Do we judge them? And I don't mean make a judgment call. There's a difference between making a judgment call and judging someone. Someone who's judging another person, they're, 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 they're casting guilt. They're judge, jury, and executioner in their own mind. They're, they're condemning them. They're, they're being condescending toward them. Boy, that's not what God's called the Christian to do and Christian to be. Someone says, Pastor, I sure wish you would take a more nasty approach or a more firm approach against particular sins in this church. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to preach against sin, as the Bible so says, but it is not my job to judge those living in sin. It is God's job to judge them. It's my job to preach the book. And it's my job to love those in sin. You know, I found this about Christians. I've been in church for 36 plus years now. And here's what I found about Christians. Christians love when you preach against everyone else's sin but theirs. Boy, I get on a sin you don't have a problem with and it's, Preach away, pastor! Let me get on your sin and, oh, pastor, move on. Pastor, move on. Don't, don't dwell there. Don't talk about that right there. You know, we're really quick to judge others and condemn others. God has not called us to be that way. How do we respond when we see someone living in sin? Do we judge them? Do we gossip about them? Well, you need to pray for for sister such and such. You know, I I saw her at the store the other day, and let me tell you, she needs a lot of prayer. 
you need to pray for brother such and such. He hasn't been in church in a few months. And I, I tell you, I think he's just gone off to live like the devil. I'm not even sure he's saved. Are we, clo- are we cloaking our gossip with prayer? Are we, have we actually prayed for them? Or are we just using spiritual rhetoric to try to get away with gossip? The old adage is that bad news goes around the world twice before good news goes around the block once. You know why? Because we love to gossip. We love to gossip. We see a brother or sister in the Lord living in sin. Let's not be gossips. Hey, I think I said this in the last couple of weeks. Boy, it needs to be said again and again and again and again. It ought not ever be said that a brother or sister at White Oak Baptist Church ever one time said anything negative about another brother or sister at White Oak Baptist Church. Amen? Don't you want around talking about about each other? That doesn't please the Lord. Do we judge them? Do we gossip about them? Do we take a pharisaical approach? Boy, I'm glad I'm righteous. And I'm not like that loser sinner over there in the corner. Boy, I would never do that. I just don't understand how someone can be so sinful and and live such a debaucherous lifestyle. They should be righteous like me. Oh, come on, Pharisee. Matthew 23 is where you need to go read. And the Bible calls you a snake and a viper. Let's not be pharisaical. What do you do when you see that someone, someone's life has gone off the rails? Someone has, has dipped their lifestyle into sin. If you see someone doing something wrong, you should not run and tell your neighbor. Rather, you should run to your knees and tell God in prayer. Listen now. Pray for them. Don't you pray against them. Well, you don't know what they did to me. You don't know how they hurt me. Oh, I've seen people in church get into a dust-up with other people in church. I've seen people in church get hurt by other people in church. And if you've ever uh, been hurt at church, the best thing you can do is run to your prayer closet and get on your knees and pray for the person that hurt you. God gave you two eyeballs to observe and discern. It takes a humble, mature Christian who will take those observations when he sees his brother in sin. It takes a mature Christian with a humble heart to turn those observations into sincere prayer instead of salacious gossip. Turning your Bibles over to Galatians chapter 6. We're almost done this evening. Galatians chapter 6, and look at verse number 1. Galatians chapter number 6, verse number 1. For sake of time, I'll begin reading. The Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in a spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. One of the things I work to do in premarital counseling when I have a couple who's Preparing to get married. Brother Hope and Miss Andres got married yesterday. Pastor Mike performed the wedding, did a great job. Um, I got to do the premarital counseling with the two of them, and I told them what I tell every couple that I do premarital counseling with. And what I told them is you have a responsibility to accept your spouse's strengths and weaknesses. One of the things we do, we do an exercise. We help them see that you have a set of strengths and weaknesses that's different than your spouse's strengths and weaknesses. Where you're weak, they are not necessarily weak. And where you are weak, they are not necessarily weak. You wives think to yourself, how come 
my knuckle-headed husband that I've been married to all these years can't figure out how to pick up his socks off the floor. I have told him thousands of times to quit leaving his socks on the floor, and he just keeps on doing it. You know, you may not, ma'am, you may not leave your socks on the floor, but you may squeeze the tube of toothpaste from the wrong end. You may roll the toilet paper off the wrong way. Come on now, I'm preaching. You may not push your chair under the table when you get up. You may not pull the shower curtain closed when you get done. Some, someone here may have a strength with people, but just not be very good at, at getting a task done to its completion. Where someone else gets a task done to its completion, but they're not very good with people. And you know what we have to learn to do is we have to learn to bear one another's burdens. We have to show meekness and grace and kindness. Watch this now. Let's say I walk out of church tonight and I get in my car and I head down the road and I have to stop at Walmart on my way home and I come out of Walmart and standing around the back of the building, standing around the side of the building there, let's say I park a long ways away from the building and I come around where my car is and I see, let's see here, i pick on someone here. I see Jim Owens standing back by the building and he's puffing on a cigarette. I mean, he's just sucking it down. It'd be wrong for me to get on social media and talk about it. It'd be wrong for me to get on the phone and... You know what, Deacon Okai? I saw Deacon Owens. You know, Judas was a traitor, and he was the treasurer. You know what I ought to do? First thing I ought to do is get on my knees and pray. The second thing I ought to do is check my heart. When I have a meek and humble spirit, go to him one-on-one and address it. You know, our church would be a lot healthier if we'd all take that approach. Amen? Letter B. Our intercession. Look at verse 16 of 1 John 5. We finish here tonight. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, look here, he, this is the man who made the observation, the, the Christian that made the observation, he shall ask, and he, God, shall give him, this is the man who committed the sin, life, for them that sin not unto death. Watch this now. I can stay off God's judgment on you if I pray for you after you've sinned. I can intercede on your behalf. I can get on my knees and say, Lord, that, that brother or sister of mine, they, they made a big mistake. They did wrong. Uh, and Lord, I know that you need to correct them. I know that you need to punish them. But Lord, be merciful in your punishment. Be gracious with them. Give them another chance. Uh, Lord, forgive them for that wrongdoing. Lord, I intercede on their behalf. And the Bible says that if we get on our knees and we pray for our brother, we pray for our sister, that God will give them life. Boy, that seems to me, that's what the passage says here. Amen? The way I read it, the way I understand it, is that if I pray for you, and you're living in sin, boy, I can bring God's grace into your life through my prayer. Some of you in here tonight know of a brother and sister in the church that's wayward, going through a tough time in their life. Some of you in here tonight have adult children that are wayward. You get frustrated with them. You get angry at them. You're bothered by their behavior. And maybe even a little embarrassed by their behavior. And we can get upset and say, you know what, I'm just going to turn them over to the world, the devil, and whatever happens, happens. Oh, don't do that. Boy, you get on your knees and you intercede in prayer. I finished the sermon this evening with an illustration. There's a story about an adult boy living at home and going to college. And he was raised in church, taken to Sunday school from the time he was young. Graduated from high school, and as soon as he turned 18, he quit going to church. Began to live the party life. 
Mom and dad didn't kick him out of the house, but boy, he refused to follow any kind of a curfew. And one night he came home at two in the morning. He was going to change his clothes as he went from one party to the next. Reached up in his closet to get his shoes that he wanted to wear with that particular uh, outfit, and they weren't there. So he reached for another pair of shoes, and he picked them up, and he put them on, and they were soaking wet on the inside. Drenched his socks. It angered him, and it upset him, and he was such a selfish young man that he barged into his parents' room and began to reprimand his parents for how his shoes could be soaking wet. Don't they know how inconvenient this was for him? And what did they do with the shoes that he needed to wear? Before he could blurb out even a word, he looked down and saw his mother down on her face. She had those shoes that he was looking for down on the floor. She was laying prostrate on her face with her eyeballs over the top of those shoes and she was praying and pleading and interceding on behalf of her son as her tears filled those shoes. And she looked up at him with a broken face, with a tearful face, and she said, I cannot control how you live. I cannot control where you go. I cannot control what you do. But one, I can pray for you. And two, every step you take tonight, every time you feel that wetness on your socks tonight, I want you to know that you're breaking your father's heart. You're breaking your mother's heart. You're breaking God's heart. And we love you and we're praying for you to return. Boy, that mother was interceding for that adult child on her knees. She was taking him to the throne of grace and saying, Lord, please have mercy on my son. Please keep him from contracting any diseases. Please keep him from dying in a car accident. Please keep him away from the harms of alcohol and drugs. Lord, please keep him from the pain that a promiscuous lifestyle brings. Lord, please rescue my son. Boy, God was hearing her prayers. How about it tonight, Christian? Is there an affection in your heart toward those who are doing wrong? Or is there a judgmental, gossiping spirit? Are you willing to get down on your knees and pray for those that are wayward? Not talk about them. Not talk about them to me and you. Not talk about them this way. Talk about them to the throne. Beg God to help them. Boy, Christian, it's time we start asking and receiving. But it begins by committing to a life of prayer. All of this is great, but you know what? It just doesn't matter if you're not even praying. For some of you tonight, the decision is that you're going to start praying. You're going to start praying God's way. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. Christian, are you praying? Do you have a faithful, consistent prayer life? Are you praying and asking God to give you His desires? Or are you just praying selfishly so you can consume it upon your own lust? Are you praying for those in your life who are wayward and away from the Lord? Are you asking God to give them mercy? Are you interceding on their behalf? Lord, would You help us tonight to be prayer warriors? Lord, help us to understand Your love. And then through prayer, may Your love flow through us and on to others. Help us to be Christians who supplicate, who pray, who have a prayer time each day, and commit to a life of prayer. In Jesus' name.